Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 92. And depending on which markets you're in, the increase in commodity prices, which overall is not probably a good thing for the global economy, but in the short term, that has actually benefited certain trade finance banks. My name is Abash Patel, editor at Trade Finance Global. Now, the trade finance industry continues to seek significant challenges and changes in 2022, and most prominently, the effects of COVID-19 have lingered and continued to create ripples in supply chains, a challenge also exacerbated by the current Russia-Ukraine conflict, which is having a huge effect on commodities and global trade. This year, we're proud once again to partner with ITVA at their 40 28th annual conference in Porto, and I thought it was best to catch up with ITFA's chairman, Sean Edwards, ahead of the conference to anticipate some of the key themes and talk about what he's excited about for the conference in just a few days' time. So, Sean, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you, Deepesh. Very glad to be on and and to reprise our interview of of last year. Absolutely. So I think it was from the red carpet last year. And this year, we're going to be very excited to be in the historic city of Porto. Just to start off with quick intro, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? My day job is head of legal at uh, SMBC Bank, uh, Sintonic City Bank Corporation for EMEA. My rest of the time, nights, weekends job is chairman of, uh, of ITFA, which I absolutely love. Can you give an overview of what ITFA is at a high level and also what people can expect this year at ITFA's annual conference? Yeah, of course. And I think actually the annual conference is really going to reflect this year because of the record numbers of everything, of delegates, of uh, sponsors, of exhibitors, of actually panellists as well, really reflects the breadth of the association. So we've been around now, we were founded in 1999. So we've been around just over 20 years. And we started in the forfeiting market, a very traditional market, which is some will say has, has disappeared. One of the themes of this year's conference will be actually how we can potentially reinvent that market using digitalization. The association now really is global. It really is international, much more than it was when it was set up in 1999, when it was focused very much on Europe and actually Switzerland, in fact, which was then the heart of the forfeiting market. We've obviously expanded much beyond forfeiting. We've got um, 300 members approximately worldwide, and they really all over the world from, if I go from north to sort of south, you know, northern Europe, which is one of our, our biggest regions. But then we have a recently established um, committee down in Australia and New Zealand with a couple of committees in, in Asia that haven't been so active recently, but we're working on that. We've been extremely successful in the US where we merged, took over ACFA, the Association of Trade and Forfeiting in the Americas. So that's now become the regional chapter of the regional committee for for the US, they are beginning now to expand also into South America, which is really the only region that we didn't have much membership in. We have a significant membership as well in Africa. So we really do cover the whole globe in terms of geographic spread. Our members are also very diverse. A lot of banks, of course, but banks of all sizes, big, medium and small, specialist finance houses such as uh, LFC. We have a lot of insurers primarily brokers. It's a very big insurance community and we've been very successful there. We have a lot of consultants of various stripes, including 
course, lawyers, but including risk consultants and so on. So it's a really diverse community and it really reflects the nature of trade. So this year, as I say, that's very much going to be reflected in Porto. There is an emphasis, as always, on the emerging market. I guess the two big themes for Porto are probably the emerging markets and digitalization. And actually, there is a very obvious crossover as we try to improve practices and improve the spread of finance into the emerging markets. One of the best ways of doing that is through digitization, which is now becoming much more scalable, affordable, accessible to much smaller players in the emerging markets. So very excited to have people from the Baltics, for example, who are democratizing and spreading the use of supply chain finance. But also we're looking much further east to, we have, a, for example, an Armenian bank on one of our panels. We are doing also a lot of work in, in Africa that you'll hear about. So those two, those I guess are the two broad themes. At the same time, the background, as you said at the beginning, is the current climate with inflation, supply chain problems, and of course, the Russian-Ukraine war. Sort of the world economy has muddled its way through. One of the consequences of what's happening is that there's a much more laser focus on efficiency on new markets as well, because new markets brings not only new finance to those markets, but also greater greater profitability to a bank. I think the digital tools that we now have um, are really going to help in that. You know, I mentioned that we started in a very traditional market using, and the reason it fell away really was because it was based on paper instruments. So the forfeiting market really relied at its inception and, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, really relied on negotiable instruments. The use of those fell away. But now we think that they can be revived, will be revived. And there's a lot of work going on in a number of platforms. We're going to launch some new rules in Porto on the transferability of electronic payment obligations. A number of you will have seen the announcement by Lloyds Bank last week or a few weeks ago, by the time this podcast goes out, I guess, of their um, electronic promissory notes. Um, they have uh, trialed successfully with a corporate client. That's based on it for legal technology and technical standards. So we've really made a real contribution, I think, to that market. Now, the next stage of that will be how that becomes, again, a full primary and secondary market. Hence why we've tried to focus on transfer, because we want to bring liquidity and new investors into that market as well. One of our final panels in Porto is on funds, how funds are being attracted into trade finance. And we think the kind of digital assets that we're helping to create will be of enormous interest to them. Thanks, Sean. So a lot of content there and, and lots to unpack. And without too many spoiler alerts, let's take a bit of us to Bristol and our interview really discussing what the key themes were in the kind of quick fire round. I'm going to ask if you can kind of update our listeners on where you see and how the market has changed and perhaps referring to what exciting panels we have coming up in Porto. Yeah. But first of all, global trade volumes versus trade finance lending levels. And obviously, we discussed the idea that there was a bit of nervousness from banks in terms of appetite to lend, where at the same time, trade volumes had kind of begun to rebound. What's the situation now? Well, the situation is, as I say, banks have muddled through. And depending on which markets you're in, the increase in commodity prices, which overall is not probably a good thing for the global economy, but in the short term, that has actually benefited certain trade finance banks because of the increase in prices, of course, has meant an increase in the facilities that they need to provide. That's taken quite a bit of risk management or risk taking. I think the industry overall has responded fairly well to that. The supply chain finance industry, so that's really on the commodity side. I think on the supply chain side, it's a bit more mixed. 
past, there is a lot of focus on integrated ESG into supply chain metrics, and that should result in better pricing because it meets other objectives that banks have. I think overall, though, trade finance has held up uh, pretty well. So to tie that in, as you've kindly offered me that chance to tie that in to the Porto agenda, we have a C-suite panel, which in fact you are moderating dealing with extreme volatility. So we've got uh, heads of trade there from Willis, from Financia, from JP Morgan. And we have, um, it's very important, I think the role of technology, we have a CEO of one of the biggest trade finance fintech platforms. So we'll see what they have to say. I would be cautiously positive. That will be for you to tell us about. Absolutely. And thanks for that. On the supply chain finance side, a lot of the conversation was around the reputation of supply chain finance following the collapse of, of Greensill. Is that really a conversation that's happening in the market now? Or are we talking about how supply chain finance is evolving vis-a-vis ESG, for example? The Greensill story is yesterday's story. It had a short-term effect on how some investors, supply chain payables assets, because they were the most popular, had been the most popular in relation to trade funds. So there was a little bit of a blip, I think, but it was a blip. And I think we're over that. So I think that that is yesterday's news, frankly, as interesting as the various pieces of litigation that are going on between a certain Swiss bank and and, uh, and insurers might be. But I think so far as a wider industry is concerned, that is over. Now the focus, as I said, is very much on how we make the supply chain more transparent, how we can build in metrics like ESG, how that will affect pricing, and how we can improve efficiency because banks are looking really to make their processes as operationally efficient as possible. And is there any news from the accounting standards boards on disclosure requirements and how that could change? There is. FASB have pronounced, and I think ISB are about to pronounce, essentially what will happen is more disclosure, more information will need to be provided as part of financial statements. The important thing, and there's been, I know some complaints from corporate, some of this information will be hard to put together. You know, I think though that we have done rather well, that the industry has done rather well, given what could have happened to could have been a whole reclassification of payables programs into bank debt. So that is not happening. But there is a there will be some operational changes that actually supply chain finance banks will need to help their customers with. I think that that will be the main impact. I guess another big issue last year was all around the LIBOR transition. 12 months on, what's what's your view? Has that largely been completed with kind of minimal challenges, given the tremendous work of the banks as well? Yes, yeah, so a huge amount of work has gone into this. In terms, of course, we still have US dollar LIBOR to uh, transition to happen. That USD LIBOR is being published until the middle of next year. So a lot of work actually on that has not happened yet. However, there's been the other major currencies, yen, sterling, they have transitioned or are in the final days of transition. There's still a few holdouts, but that process has gone relatively well. Actually, is more complicated for some of those currencies like sterling than it will be for dollar. And that's because dollar will have a usable term rate, especially for trade. Dollar really is what matters. So with the, in fact, there's two publishers now of, of term rates for dollar. And in fact, of the main SOFA term rate, there are, in fact, a couple of other competing benchmark rates. It still needs to happen, but it looks like it will be fairly smooth. I think the work really that needs to be done is one for lawyers, what to put in as fallbacks and so on. That still hasn't been decided. I suspect the reason for that is because of the fact that uh, USD LIBOR will be around 
still for a little while. I don't underestimate the work that will need to be done, but my prediction is it will go relatively smoothly. And I guess we've really covered digitalization in quite some detail, and that will continue to be a theme. We've made some really good progress, especially looking at the Lloyd's promissory notes example there. But I guess there will be come and we'll really see that the industry develop now that the Law Commission are going about making some quite significant changes around the acceptance of electronic documents, right? Yes, correct. The start point for this is a change in the law that that has to happen. But that's only the beginning. That's necessary, but it's not sufficient for the whole of digitization to take off. We and others have been working on for some time is actually coming to fruition now. And as you said, that is the change in the law in the UK with the Electronic Trade Documents Bill currently going through Parliament. And we believe it will come into effect sometime next year. And that will allow essentially um, trade, various trade documents, including things like bills of lading, bills of exchange, promissory notes, uh, warehouse certificates to be valid when they are in digital form. It's a lovely short act. And and what it says is simply, if you have the same information in digital form that you would do on a paper bill, that is effective. You can possess that and use that legally in the same way as you can paper. Now, that's the legal qualification that you need. The question then is, and I've already alluded to it, is then how do you create the market in that? How do you show people that you have the right system to digitalize and transfer these instruments in uh, what you can legally have them validly in digital form? How do you do that? How do you prove that? At the heart of a lot of these laws, the English Act and also the UNCTRAL model on electronic transferable records is this idea of a reliable system. How you show what is a reliable system is a a mixed matter of fact and law. And we're going to be doing a lot of work about on that to producing guidelines and standards to how that could be achieved. And people like Lloyd's are trying to do it. There are also a number of fintechs that are working on this. The next stage, how do you commercialize it? Or how do you operationalize what is now legally possible? How do you commercialize it, monetize it? How do you show technically and legally that you've got the right system? So it's going to be a very exciting marketplace. I think for the next couple of years, a lot of work will go on that. And once we get that right, once we've got the law right, which we have already pretty much, once we've got the right systems, the right platforms, the right vendors, then that's when we start to get liquidity in. And then that's when with one of the themes of Porto will be the recreation of the forfeiting market, but in a new sort of electronic uh, form. And we'll save those spoilers. I think it's fair to say it for a driving fair few initiatives all in and around the digitalization of trade finance and forfeiting. I guess Lastly, we were at the light green stage this time last year when we talked about the greening of trade finance, some of the issues around greenwashing, especially in response to greater calls for action on climate change. 12 months on, where do you think we're at as an industry? Well, clearly greenwashing is one of the things that the, um, the industry is really focusing on. It's always because especially since Bristol, we've, there's been a couple of raids, for example, on banks in Germany. There's a much greater attention to greenwashing. Only the other day, the FCA announced in the UK that it would be adding new expert resources to deal with this. So the problem with ESG generally is that there are a lot of standards around. 
so we know what we should be heading towards. How you measure how you get there, how you've qualified under those standards is much more difficult. So what we've been doing in ITFA is working with a provider to who will be also speaking in Porto to actually come up with a usable system to measure that what producers are doing. This is very relevant, of course, to supply chain, but what the producers, suppliers and manufacturers of goods are saying they're doing on the in terms of ESG is actually true. So we can verify that what they're saying actually does conform with whatever the relevant standard might be. And everyone's looking to the UN SDG and the EU taxonomy for those standards. But to, to actually show that you qualified, you need this empirical tool. And uh, we're working to have something that is workable and, and used. Sounds like some progress, but we're still a way to go. And we're still probably fairly early on in that journey. So I guess that's a, a really good update to some of the key themes that we saw last year in Bristol. And also you've talked about some of the main themes around digitalization and emerging markets for 2022 Porto. I guess many of our listeners will be coming to the IPFA conference in Porto. So for those coming, Sean, what kind of tips and advice would you would you give to those who are currently preparing to get ready for their trip to Porto? Get ready to have a good time. It's the first thing I would say. Get ready to be really busy because there's, there will be a lot of networking. We've got dedicated networking, but of course that goes on through the whole conference. Visit all of the stands because there's some really good vendors that we have there. Keep an open mind and be creative. All associations like IPFA can do is give you the tools. You, our members, then have to use that in a way that is commercially viable and, and makes sense for you. But we're handing you a huge plate of ingredients up to you to make the cake. Thank you, Sean. We'll definitely bring our baking ingredients. And what about people who might still want to register? Are there still spaces? We've had to wait list because we've actually sold out both our conference hotels and our dinner venues, but we are trying to squeeze people in whenever we can. It is worth registering. We are trying our very best. Busy, but huge success. Well, Sean, thank you so much for speaking to me on Trade Finance Talks. Really look forward to seeing you in a few days' time and catching up with the IPFA family and discussing some of those really important topics on how trade finance is changing during these very challenging, but also somewhat exciting times for the industry. So thank you very much and see you soon. Thanks, Deepesh. Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com. 